And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Hello, everybody, and welcome uh, to episode 140 of The Drop Set. Your host here, Darren Starr. Thank you for joining me on Friday, September 6th. 2019 recording this starting to at 707 a.m eastern standard time if this sounds like i'm getting ready for a funeral or something like that it's because uh figuratively speaking i am it is a funeral for number 15 um meaning the not quite very furthest back left upper molar <laughs> which is about to have a crown put on it in two hours so uh, I have what I would, uh, I would classify as a, um, what would be the right adjective for this? Let, let me, let me go to thesaurus.com here and see if I can come up with the appropriate word. Um, just because everything that, uh, uh, everything that I am thinking of right now is really kind of falling short of what I really want here. So, um, utmost, uttermost. Maximal, supreme, ultimate, intense, severe. Let's go with severe. A severe chronic case of dental anxiety. Chronic like lifetime. It's pretty much uh, it's pretty much who I am. <laughs> if if I was going to define myself in, in five characteristics on some kind of a profile on a dating website, um, severe dental anxiety would be one of those five things. It's really like, uh, it's my brand pretty much. So, um, so I've had this done before. Like I had a bridge put in several years ago, which if you're not familiar with it, it's basically like, uh, it's like two crowns. Um, so all at once. Now that was, uh, I will tell you, first of all, it was a miserable experience. I also don't remember it vividly because I kind of blocked it out. Um, it was bad. So just because I, I'm fine with profanity, but I'm not fine with just being disgusting for no reason. So I'm not going to describe what happens during a crown if you don't know. And those of you who do know are probably saying like, dude, chill out. It's not that bad. And to which I say, first of all, you stop judging me. You just shut up and keep that to yourself. I don't need it. <laughs> So uh, I'm going to have a panic attack about this. I got to drive myself there. So it's not like I can take a Xanax or anything like that. I just got to suck it up and I don't know, <laughs> try not to die, I guess. I don't think anyone's ever died getting a crown before. I might be mistaken on that. I'm not going to Google the statistics because probably there was a freak accident where somebody did. And then I will go into that assuming that I will be number two. Um, so yeah, not, uh, not thrilled about this, not thrilled about it. the worst part. However, the part that I really hate is getting the temporary put in and then walking around with that for like two weeks. I hate that. Absolutely hate, 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 hate that. Ugh. God. So I am, uh, I'm planning on going to hit a back session afterwards with a numbed up mouth. We'll see how that goes. And then, uh, I'm planning to do a little retail therapy. What am I going shopping for? Watch my Instagram. I might show you. So um, that is at Darren underscore star. And that Instagram account has been amazingly dormant for a while. Like, you know, I think my last post was about 10 days ago or something like that. I usually stay a little bit more active on my story. I have not this week. Why? I have been immensely preoccupied with the events that will transpire in about two hours. Like, it has really, really impacted me in a negative way all week. Um, I've, I've had to apologize to a couple clients. <laughs> 
this week, which was very uncharacteristic for me just because uh, I've been in a mood all week. Man, uh, it is... It has impacted me on a uh, on a crazy kind of level here. So, anyway, I uh, will survive. Hopefully, if not, you know this will be the final episode of the drop set, and you've all been great. I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully, my uh, my memory will live on in in death. So, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, hopefully, I'm just being really dramatic about this, though. Um, I don't know. I would love to say that I knew for sure, but. Not so much. We got some stuff to cover here today, though. So I want to start with a couple of uh, follow-ups on some things. Um, we've got some voicemails to tackle. I've got a couple of other topics lined up that I would love to get into as well. So we will see how it goes. First of all, um, a follow-up from... Hold on a second. Um, a follow-up from... Emily, who uh, she's called into the show before, a client, um, one that I've actually met in person. One time when I was in Oregon, we met up for a workout, which was great. So um, she's got a show coming up next month, which is her debut show. And you want to talk about somebody who is like a a planner and I, I would say like, you know, plans things out in excess, which is good. It's a good thing. Um, but like getting all of her ducks in a row months ahead of time and you know, we went through a, a growth phase before just trying to get her ready for prep, um, which was fair, fairly lengthy, took some time. And during that time, you know, it wasn't perfect. And my concern with that, because having a, an imperfect growth or off-season phase is always totally fine. But if that's where we start and then we go into a pre-contest phase, I just need to make it very clear, like, okay, it's imperfect right now. You know, we're doing some things. We're having, some, we're going out for, you know, drinks this night. We're having a weekend getaway here. Macros are off. Okay, that's all fine. That's all fun and games. It's totally cool. But once prep starts, all that stuff is done with. Like, you don't have to stop doing it, but you know, you've got to, like, you know, everything matters. Like, everything gets tracked. That, that's, if you want to maximize what you get out of it, and realistically, I think the only way to do this, I mean, the only reason you would do it is to put everything that you can into it and see what comes out on the other side. Uh, and really, nobody has embodied that spirit um, and that concept more than Emily has because her prep has been, not without incident, um, but pretty much perfect. There have been a couple mistakes made, um, like actual like accounting mistakes, like, Oop, oops, I went over on that due to a mistake, or, oh, I measured that incorrectly, or you know, uh, a couple of little nagging injuries that won't go away um, that have kind of slowed things down a little bit. But as far as like how she has tackled it and approached it, it's been flawless. So I just got to give her some props. She has been doing a, an absolutely killer job. Um, and she threw a, a a note at me this week, um, just commenting on the uh, previous segment that we did here a couple weeks ago regarding alcohol, um, which I have referred people back to many, many times. It is shocking to me how regularly this comes up in, in conversation with clients and other people now. So um, that's going to have to be bookmarked or something like that, or I'll just need to talk about it here on a monthly basis. I don't know. Um, but her words, and I will quote her directly here, quote, not drinking hasn't affected my social life at all. My question to folks would be, if you can't hang out with your friends when they drink and you're not, what kind of relationships do you really have? I've been to two weddings, several camping trips, and a few concerts, and I'm having as much, if not more, fun for it. End quote. And to that I say, kudos. Hell yeah, absolutely. That is a great question. You know, if if you've got these situations where you're like expected to drink, you know, and you know you can't hang out with these people otherwise, I'm like, 
chances are you probably don't really need to hang out with those people. Um, now, and, and there are certain circumstances where, you know, it is kind of expected or it's just your routine. But once again, that is a, a story that we tell ourselves. Uh, and there, there are certain, certain circumstances where it's appropriate to break that story and change it. Uh, a case in point example that I always use is uh, band practice for me. So we host band practice here. Um, and at this point, our band is a trio. So it's my wife and I and her friend is another singer. So she, she will come over here. We'll do dinner and then we'll come down to the basement where our band practice space is. We'll you know fire up the amps and the mics and just jam out for a little while. Get some tunes ready. And uh, always, because if, if you know Dina and Trey, the two singers, <laughs> wine is involved. <laughs> always. And so last year when I was on my cut, I had to go through, you know, four months of, of band practice with, uh, with no wine. That sucked. It wasn't fun just because, you know, th th there's very much a bell curve with wine where, you know, you, you get a little bit of that and suddenly your plane is a little bit looser. And it's like, oh, okay, this, yeah, you, you just don't judge yourself as much. So if you're trying to improv, I find that everything just comes a little bit more freely. Uh, but then, you know one glass too many and suddenly, you know, your 88 key piano turns into 145 key piano and you can't seem to find the right ones or your fingers just double in size and you can't hit one key without hitting three. Uh, I've been there a few times. So, you know, there, there's certainly a, a point of diminishing returns there. But the, the point is, you know, it, it's certainly something that it kind of goes with the territory. It is expected. Um, and there's certainly no pressure. Uh, you know, I, I will... Even now, like, you know, we have band practice, and at this point, I'm like, yeah, sure, a glass of wine or whatever, band practice is totally fine, don't care. But there are still times where I'll be like, eh, nah, it's okay. Basically, just because I want to remind myself, like, yeah, I don't need this in order for this to be fun, in order for this to be good. So I think that's a, a good practice as well. Just because you can doesn't mean you need to. And I think that's a good habit to fall into. So um, good uh, good um, feedback there from Emily. Much, much, much appreciated there. So um, I've got a couple of voicemails here. I've had a few that have accumulated here so I'm going to get into a few of those and I don't remember what these are I know I I did a quick check on the uh, uh, transcript that Google provides for me <laughs> sometimes I can tell what they're talking about and sometimes I can't I'm like what that doesn't make any sense something got lost in translation there I don't remember what these are though so I'm just going to grab and grab one and see what we got here hey Darren it's Ashley from Tennessee so I do have a question so what if I am halfway through one of my meals and I am so full and I just can't finish it right then and there. Is it okay to hold off for about another hour then try to stuff the rest of it down? Or does it all need to be eaten relatively close together? Thanks. Yeah, good question, Ashley. So uh, first of all, I would say, why are you such a quitter? Um, <laughs> whoever heard of gave, giving up on a meal? That just sounds like the kind of negativity that I don't need in my life. What, what, who are you? I don't even know you anymore. Um, but it's, it's a valid question just because sometimes, you know, you're uh, on a growth phase and your meals are big. You're eating a lot and you find that you just kind of get ahead of yourself and you're like, oh, God damn it. I can't finish this thing. Jeez Louise. Uh, whose idea was it to stuff 14 ounces of a protein and two cups of rice into this one meal? Oh, yeah, it was my idea because I'm on flexible diet and I thought this seemed like a good idea at the time. I was wrong. Lesson learned. Let's do it differently next time. Um, or, man, why does my coach have me eating an 800-calorie meal right here? This is just ridiculous, to which I would say, yeah, probably, but there's a reason for it. So 
but you you can certainly find yourself in those situations where you feel like you are uh, backed into a corner where, you know what, not only is my stomach full, but my esophagus is full and the food is actually spilling back up into my mouth right now. Okay, that's really disgusting imagery. Um, I apologize for that. Kind of, like I said, I'm not really, uh, I'm not, I'm out of sorts. I'm, I'm not in a good headspace here. So you don't know what you're going to get from me today. So, uh, but you can certainly find yourself in a situation where, like, okay, eat, taking another bite at this point is not going to be productive. So, uh, and sometimes it's just a question of if you've been conditioned to um, smaller meals for long enough. Like if you've done some, maybe some counterproductive dieting habits where, uh, you have overly restricted your calories and your body's accustomed to a thousand calories a day. And then suddenly you try to feed at 1500 and it's like, Whoa, what? I mean, a lot of people will respond fine to that. Some people, not so much. Um, your overall lifetime dieting history is going to have a big impact on that. And that's one of the things where it becomes really difficult to use something like an online, uh, intake calculator to figure out where somebody needs to be. And that's one of the things that I do when I'm working with a new client is trying to figure out where do we need to start this person, not only for their goal and where they want to go, but also what's going to be practical for them to hit right off the, right off the bat. Just because, you know, I've seen it happen before where I throw somebody a 1200 calorie diet to start and it's too much food. They can't get it in. Um, also because the meal plans that I write, uh, are, you know, they're, they're clean food sources. So your food volume is going to be a little bit higher there. So if you're accustomed to eating, you know, 1200 calories, but it's a bunch of junk crap and maybe in one meal a day, if you suddenly try to start feeding yourself five meals a day that are relatively clean at the same calorie intake, it's going to feel like about five times as much food. So all that to say, yeah, there's a lot of individuality that goes into figuring out how to find an appropriate intake level um, outside of the metabolic calculator world. And uh, you're going to find yourself potentially in situations where it's tough to finish a meal. So what is the right way to do it? Yeah, I mean, basically, my, my whole thing is get it in your stomach and let it start processing it as quickly as you can without putting yourself over that line into throw up land. You don't want to stuff yourself to the point where you're going to be sick. Uh, but at the same token, if you're like, whew, I'm stuffed, I don't really want to finish this. Okay, don't want to or can't. Ask yourself that question because if you don't want to but you can, do it. Uh, because at that point, you know, you're going to get it all in there. You're going to give your body a chance to process it because more than likely, you know, statistically, uh, it's probably not your last meal of the day. And so a couple situations there, if it is your last meal of the day, well, you got to finish it anyway, because you won't be able to finish it in an hour because you'll probably be asleep if you eat like me. Uh, or if it's not, that means you're going to have another meal later on. So you might as well finish this one and let your body get a couple hours to digest and process it. So then you're ready for the next one. So I would encourage being just a little bit more aggressive, uh, not to the point of excess where you are really putting yourself at legit risk for heaving, uh, because that's no fun, no fun. And also counterproductive because then all those calories that you just stuffed down, they've all come back up and now they don't count. So that is a big lose-lose right there because then you have to do it again. You don't have to re-eat that meal that is now in front of you. Boy, man, I am crossing some lines here today. That is disgusting. I mean, anybody who owns a dog has seen this happen before. So, <laughs> Taz, close your ears. I'm talking about you. Oh, he's not here. He went upstairs. I started recording a podcast, and he's like, no, peace out, man. I've heard this before. I don't need to hear this again. Um, so anyway, that, that, that's the, the general strategy that I would, uh, I would recommend for that. So good question, Ashley. What do we got next, please? Who is, uh, who's left? Who's up? Hey, Darren. This is Dakota from Virginia. Uh, I normally leave you really long-winded Instagram messages, but I decided to call in this time. 
So my question is, I've had for over a year a lot of knee pain. Uh, specifically when I do deep, heavy squats, I get a sharp, sustained pain in the front of my kneecap. I recently went to the doctor and figured out it was uh, patellofemoral syndrome or uh, crepitus, kind of the same thing. I don't know. Anyways, the doctor told me that it's caused, partially caused, by overdeveloped outer quad muscles and weak inner quad muscles. So the vastus medialis, the teardrop shape in the quad, is weak and underdeveloped. So what are some exercises, what are some ways that you can specifically target the teardrop in the quad? I know that that's great from a bodybuilding standpoint, but also in my case, it should potentially help my knee pain. So yeah, what are some exercises to target the teardrop shape in the quad? Thanks. Good stuff, Dakota. Thank you. And good to, good to actually hear your voice here as well. Many, many thanks. So patellofemoral syndrome uh, or crepitus. Now, typically those are two different things. So uh, I mean, crepitus you can have in any joint. Patellofemoral is localized. I mean, that's specifically for the knee. Um, crepitus is is typically more of a sensation or a sound. Like if you've got joints that crack or pop with movement regularly, that is crepitus. Um, and this is typically um, it, it's it's going to impact the the cartilage in the joint, and you know over time. Um, it can actually wear down the cartilage and it can start to wear it away a little bit. Um, so patellofemoral syndrome is, is more of a, typically it's going to be a muscular imbalance. Uh, I think it could also be caused by some, uh, like an inflammation based response. Uh, so it, 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 it's not necessarily the same thing. I wouldn't think at least not in, uh, not with my, uh, my limited, knowledge here. I mean, I feel fairly knowledgeable in this, but then I talk to a physical therapist or an orthopedist. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. My, my knowledge is really kind of like Sesame Street level, which for what I do is appropriate. So um, patellofemoral um, syndrome. So there's also patellofemoral crepitus, uh, which is crepitus in that joint. Um, but typically we're talking about like runner's knee here. So, uh, and it's called that because if you run and you run chronically all the time, consistently, and you don't do a lot else. It's kind of like, you know, a swimmer or a construction worker or anybody who does one thing repeatedly over and over and over again without focusing on trying to balance out the rest of their physique. And I'm not talking about an aesthetic point. I'm talking about from a functional point. Um, then, yeah, uh, you're, you're going to develop imbalances that are going to cause um, – uh, syndromes like this that have a, a pain or discomfort associated with them. So what the, uh, the doctor was mentioning here sounds very legit to me, just an, an imbalance in the muscles of the quad. And so if we want to target the teardrop, I don't know if that is a universal diagnosis or prescription for patellofemoral syndrome, or if it's something that specifically they thought would be most appropriate for you just looking at, because like you can go in there with lower back pain, um, like SI joint pain, sp very specific localized pain. There can be a lot of different causes for that pain um, in that exact joint, depending on your your habits. I mean, you know, for for a lot of people, 
it is related to the fact that we sit a lot of the time and we have, you know, our hamstrings become shortened just because our, our, in our seated position, our knees are flexed. So the hamstring is shortened and the hip flexor is shortened. Um, so they get tight. Those muscles get tight. And also most people who are not bodybuilders and don't train their hamstrings, they have weak hamstrings generally. Um, so you have those weak, shortened hamstrings and those tight, shortened hip flexors, and it pulls your pelvis out of rotation and your sacroiliac joint is what bears the brunt of that. And so it, even though you know your, your lower back pain is caused by the fact that you're in a seated posture too much of the day and you're not working on stretching or strengthening the associated muscles um, for that posture and trying to balance things back out. But you could also have SI joint pain from any number of other things like, you know, for example, an acute injury in that area. So there could be a lot of causes for it, just like there could be a lot of causes for patellofemoral syndrome as well. So um, that being said, to your specific question, Dakota, which is a good one, targeting the teardrop, um, the, the best way to do it realistically, and this may seem a little counterintuitive, is leg extensions. Uh, because, And I say counterintuitive because a lot of people will ascribe patellofemoral syndrome is being caused by bad form on leg extensions. And I've certainly heard physical therapists say before um, that is one machine that they would just love to rip out of every gym. Um, to which I say, hey, get your grubby effing paws off my leg extension machine. I freaking need it, okay? Buddy, just shut up and stop being a gym Nazi. That's my job. Can we make Nazi jokes in 2019 anymore? I feel like we probably can't. I don't know. I don't think it's funny anymore. I don't, but I also thought that was the case back in the uh, the when people would always say, "Oh, it's like such and such on steroids," and then we had that whole scandal with Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire in baseball. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's funny anymore. But I didn't stop. It's you know, it's still as prevalent now as it ever was. So maybe it's one of those timeless uh, timeless analogies that'll never go away and never get old. Who knows? Uh, but a lot of physical therapists will say, yeah, we need to get rid of those leg extension machines because they, they're just terrible on knees and it's not a natural movement. I'm like, well, nothing in the gym is really a natural movement unless you're talking about like a treadmill. And that's, that's you know, a, a bicep curl is, is similarly is not a natural movement in that sense and that it's not something that you do as part of your ADLs, your activities of daily living. The only thing it really is is walking and bending over and sitting. So I've never really bought the whole natural movement argument. I think that's bunk. Um, I mean, natural movement, you're asking, you, you have a machine that is designed to apply resistance to knee extension. Knee extension is a basic human articulation. This seems like a pretty natural movement to me. So, uh, I don't know. Again, that's my Sesame Street level understanding of kinesiology and uh, physical therapy concepts. So, I certainly don't claim to be an expert, but uh, at the same time, I don't know that anybody's uh, ever, at least under my guidance, I don't think anybody's ever hurt their knees doing leg extensions because I'm very particular on how they're done. Um, which is to say, we do things pretty common sense and there's nothing special about leg extensions. It's just, you do them slow and you do them controlled and you don't try to do as much weight as you possibly can with the most aggressive, uh, concentric phase of the exercise that you possibly can. Yeah. You do that enough. It's going to screw up your knee just like it will on any exercise. If you do, if you lift recklessly and as fast and hard as you possibly can, you're going to screw yourself up. Um, that's kind of the nature of exercise and the slowing it down always makes it more productive and always reduces the injury risk. So the problem is not with the machine. The problem is with how people tend to use the machine, which is, I would say that one is typically, uh, more, uh, prone to being abused and used incorrectly than other things. But, um, if you want to target the teardrop, 
there is nothing, nothing, nothing that's going to um, hit it harder than, than a leg extension. Now, you could also do a, a narrow stance leg press with the feet fairly low on the plate. That's going to hit the quad pretty comprehensively. Um, this is worth a diagram um, at some point explaining how foot, how and why foot positioning on the leg press impacts uh, muscles around a certain joint. Uh, because I can say, yeah, put your feet high and wide on the leg press to target glutes and hams, or put your feet low and together on the leg press to, to really target your quads. You know, it's not an isolation movement. It's still going to target everything, but you're going to shift the priority more to one uh, group of muscles or the other based on those positions. But then there's the question of why, and I think it would be worth a drawing at some point to explain why, but I'll just give you this. It has to do with which joint is being prioritized and putting through a greater range of motion. Um, and, uh, the, the trick with me, of course, on the podcast is not really the place to do that. It's really more for a blog post where I can have some visual aids. Um, but you know, I, I see all these people who put up these explanations and these well-produced videos. And I'm like, God damn, who has the time for that? I mean, are you hiring people to, to put these videos together for you? Cause I don't know who has the time for this, who, I, I, God, I sure don't. I don't have the time for it. I don't have the necessary video editing skills either. I've been watching more and more YouTube videos, and I'm just boggled by, like, these guitar instruction videos with, like, these multi-camera setups. I'm like, oh, I can't. I've done some YouTube videos. I know how much work goes into into putting up and producing a really shitty video. So to make a good one with multi, multiple cameras, it boggles my mind. And doing it on a weekly basis, no, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know, maybe they just aren't as busy as I am, or maybe they're just smarter and more efficient than me. Entirely possible as well. Anyway, back to the quads. <clears throat> Man, this this episode probably just needs to go on the scrap heap. I'm all over the place making analogies about talking about eating your own throw up and Nazis and not one of my finer moments. He says as he takes a drink of water and vows not to edit that out of the final episode. So, uh, Leg extension is your is your big money maker on that one. Specifically, slow tempo, focusing on the squeeze. So you raise it up over like a one count, hold it for like a two count, and then give yourself a one or a two count on the negative. Cut down on the rest between your reps as well. Um, and it can also help to do one leg at a time. And I would do it um, unilaterally. So you do like, you know, let's say your target's 10 reps. Do 10 reps with your left leg and then 10 reps with your right leg. Um, rather than alternating, because uh, it's going to be more effective if you don't give it that break between reps. We're going to talk more about that later. I don't know if we'll get to it today, but later for sure. So uh, one other thing is you can also externally rotate your leg a little bit. So, you know, the, the teardrop is kind of on the inside part of your quad, right? Well, if you externally rotate your leg and it, it can help to actually like, this is where it helps to do it one leg at a time because you can actually rotate yourself in the seat a little bit and present that working leg forward a little bit. You externally rotate it. So now you're the inner teardrop part of your quad is really facing like straight up. So think of this as like a toes out leg extension. Um, but really it's more about a, a leg rotated out. Just pointing the toes out is typically insufficient. Um, but if you, if you, bring that teardrop up front and center, your vastus medius up front and center, um, that's going to necessarily allow it to work a little bit harder and contract a little bit more violently on each rep. So that would be another alteration that you could do for there to, to really drive the point home. So great stuff there. Um, I have, uh, boy, I got so much more stuff I want to talk about. Let's, let's call it on voicemails. I've got a couple more that I could play, but I'm going to save those for Monday. And let's go into, this is an email that I got from Craig that touches on a few different topics. And so Craig is also a client of mine. And uh, 
he's got some really good questions here. And so he took a little bit of a break. He was on vacation. So I'll just read his email start to finish here. He said, quote, so I started listening to the drop set again, not completely caught up, but I, I do a lot of listening to fitness people. I have a few questions that I would enjoy hearing your input on. Number one, what are your views on fasting, more specifically intermittent fasting? I couldn't do it because I like eating too often, but just curious. <laughs> Number two, what is your take on Stan Efferding's views on dieting, the vertical diet and prioritizing micronutrients as opposed to macros? Thanks in advance. Well, you're welcome in retrospect, Craig. Thank you very much. Good questions here. So I have talked about intermittent fasting before. Um, I will sum it up by saying this. Meh. Next. Uh, okay, let, let's expand on that just a little bit here. The, the reason for that very lukewarm response is this. Um, it can be effective for certain things. People will gravitate towards intermittent fasting because they think it is a magical formula for fat loss, which it definitely is not. I would say, um, and this goes against conventional wisdom a little bit, but hey, I'm not afraid to do that. Uh, it, uh, I, I would argue that it is no more effective for fat loss than anything else as far as like a food timing protocol is concerned. And I think a, a lot of recent bodybuilding dieting trends are, w w this, this is a good thing, are really discounting the historically perceived importance of food timing and meal timing. You got to eat eight times throughout the day. In fact, you should wake up in the middle of the night to chug a protein shake because you got to eat, you know, all throughout the day. I've had a coach that told me to do that before. And I did it for a while, and then I'm like, this is absolutely mind-bogglingly stupid. How is chugging 50 grams of protein in the middle of the night any more effective than getting good quality sleep and not setting an alarm for 2.30 in the morning? And I, I called him out on that, and he's like, hey, do you want to grow or what? I'm like, that is such a bro response. Fired. Screw you, buddy. Um, boy, I kind of feel like calling him out by name. I really kind of do. <laughs> yeah, I'll save it. I'll save it. I, I've, I've, I've pushed the envelope enough here. I tell you what, you do this podcast and get me a little drunk, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Uh, later. Later. We'll save that for another time. If, actually, if ever there was a time to be drunk, it would be right now so that I'm a little out of it when I get to the dentist's office, except i got to drive myself there. Damn it. I, uh, I didn't think this through. I think, I, I, is it too late to get an Uber? I don't know. I should look into that. Anyway, um, so uh, intermittent fasting, it, uh, yeah, it can be really good for convenience. Like, yeah, you're setting now aside um, a good portion of your waking hours of the day where you don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about stopping what you're doing to eat. That can be really convenient. It can also kind of suck if, like Craig, you like to eat. Most people do. Um, so this also uh, comes from the, the school of thinking where – if there is something that is more difficult and puts you in a greater state of misery, well, clearly it has to be more effective, right? No, it's so dumb. It's dumb thinking. Um, and some people, they, they enjoy intermittent fasting. Like, they like the convenience of it. They don't mind the fasting part of it. And for those people, I say, great, more power to you. Don't kid yourself into thinking that it's more effective for fat loss. Don't kid yourself into thinking that it's at all effective if you're trying to build muscle. Um, but I've, I've experimented with it and I got to tell you, I mean, as a guy who likes to eat when I get really busy, I also enjoy like, man, I don't have to worry about eating between this stretch of time right here. That's great because right now 
you know, I'm eating all day long and it's like I'm chugging along with work. I'm like, oh, damn, I've got to take a break and go go to the kitchen and grab something. And okay, I got to stop what I'm doing. I got to kill my momentum and go eat. So, yeah, it can be kind of convenient for sure. It can. Um, and then, uh, Interesting here. So uh, Stan Efferding, if you're not familiar with him, he is a bodybuilder and a powerlifter, maybe former of both. I don't know if he's still competing or not, but uh, he has some thoughts on dieting and uh, his, his thoughts have been summarized in the vertical diet called that not because it's going to help with your vertical jump. It is clearly going to do the opposite of that, uh, but it's designed for gains. Um, and the idea being vertical as in uh, maximizing your caloric intake. So his whole thing, uh, realistically, if I could summarize it, and I, I read some, some summaries on this, and I've, uh, my coach actually went to a seminar um, that he was conducting last weekend, I think. Had some ideas to, to throw my way as well. And some of the stuff, I'm like, yeah, okay, I get that. And some of the stuff, I'm like, nah, I'm not really cool with that. Uh, so the idea, if, if I could summarize it is to focus on getting your micronutrients from sources that are not necessarily the bulk of your intake, but you, okay, we get a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then we're going to load up on the things that, uh, are, are bulkers and, uh, have the caloric intake that we need and specifically, like, very heavy on grass-fed beef and white rice uh, with the goal of maximizing your digestive performance. So eliminating things that cause digestive issues, which I'm all about that. Um, so what? What? Uh, let me see if I can get the more comprehensive list here. Um, so that would be anything like wheat, oats, and I, I'm a fan of that. Uh, a fan of eliminating those brown rice. I will never specifically or explicitly write brown rice into a meal plan. I will always favor Jasmine rice over that every single time. Um, and people always ask me, well, can I have brown rice? I'm like, you can, but just pay attention to how your digestive system is working because, uh, it will be more prone to causing digestive issues than Jasmine rice, which is why I picked it. Um, beans, um, pretty rare that I write beans into a meal plan, usually only on request. Um, and then, uh, typically what we're talking about here would be cruciferous vegetables. So broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts. Those are all things that I make a habit of avoiding in most cases anyway, simply because they cause gas, they cause digestive upset and bloating. And I would say at, at least as many people as not. And so for me, it just makes sense. I'm like, you know what? There are better options for all of these things. So let's just avoid them. Uh, typically anyway. So that, that is a, a strong component of the vertical diet is just avoiding those things that cause digestive upset. And I think that's something that most of us can get behind. Uh, and and I, I agree with it on that front. So where, uh, where I say is, uh, you know, what is, um, efforting says here, this is a quote. Um, it's not about a huge amounts of, uh, a protein, but it's about satisfying your protein requirements using steak instead of chicken and fish, um, which he argues are not as nutrient dense. And I would say, okay, sure. How many bodybuilders have been built on chicken and fish? You know, just think about it. Uh, I, my, my question is you know, how, how much of this is really necessary and how much of this is Stan efforting trying to sell eBooks, which there, there's always room for a new dietary philosophy. I'm not going to argue that. Um, I, I just 
question the wisdom of this. I know that when I have used a lot of uh, grass-fed beef or steak, you know, that, that stuff it feels pretty heavy in my gut. You know, I do a lot of that. And I'm like, ugh, I kind of feel it. And I, f- I tend to feel a little bit sluggish when that happens as well. So this is certainly not something that is uh, uh, universal. Uh, and the, the other thing about this, that, that where, where I really take exception to this diet, as far as branding it, because like I said, I agree with a lot of the basic concepts here. Um, uh, where I take exception to it is it comes across as something that has been clinically studied. But what it's really doing is taking a few things, a few specific elements that have been clinically studied in isolation and then putting them all together and assuming that you get some kind of cumulative or synergistic effect, which is not something that I think is safe to assume. Um, so I, that's where I, kind of, I kind of follow from it. Now, what I did find, however, is an article that says why RDs aren't fans of the vertical diet, RDs, registered dietitians. And I got to tell you, I'm like, well, if RDs aren't fans of it, then that means it's probably onto something. Um, oh, slam. Oh yeah. RDs take that. Oh yeah. I'm throwing some shade your way. Suck it. Uh, so, but the, the bulk of the, the, the content of this article uh, is around, um, what can I find the, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So here, here is the thing that really sums up the utility of this article in a nutshell. Um, although the website says it's also for weight loss, this is talking about the, the vertical diet website, I suppose. Um, registered dietitians say it's specifically for those in the bodybuilding world, not the average person going to the gym, to which I say, what is the point of this article? Of course it is. Of course it's for bodybuilders. Have you looked at Stan Efforting? If you are trying to look like, I don't know, a supermodel or you're trying to lose 100 pounds or something or whatever, if that's your goal, are you going to stand efforting to get your diet plan for that? Look at the guy. No, you go to Stan Efforting. I mean, I'm sure he is fully capable of putting together a dietary plan. You know what? This this would, the the basic tenets of this would work regardless of what direction you want to go. Clearly, it is designed for growth, um, and I, I'm sure he could he could certainly as a, I don't know if he is a coach or whatever, but uh, he could certainly help somebody with a fat loss diet for sure. But you know, when you've got a guy like that who brands a diet for muscle growth, I mean, come on now, come on, people. This article is from. Uh, my fitness pal, actually, which I'm very disappointed. So, uh, but it, it does break down some of the, um, uh, some of the, uh, what the, the characteristics and the pros and cons a little bit, which, you know, most of the stuff I've, I've talked about before, there is something in here. I did not source this. I did not track the source on this. Um, but one paragraph in here says the diet recommends avoiding high starch carbohydrates, such as wheat, beans, oats, and brown rice, as well as vegetable oils, garlic, screw you. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. Sugar, coffee. I think that's where we lose a lot of people here. Vegetables high in the natural sugars like broccoli, asparagus, even, and cauliflower. Again, how many bodybuilders have been built on asparagus? Yeah. Um, and... Alkaline water, avoiding alkaline water, which efforting says raises pH and isn't conducive to digestion. So here we go with the raise or lower your pH bullshit argument again. It does not happen. If your pH has a very specific range it needs to be in, and if it's not there, one thing happens, and that thing is you die. So um, 
if, if, if let's say alkaline water does actually raise your pH, it is not significant enough to actually do anything. You look at the overall range where, where pH exists, 0 to 14, there's a very narrow range where human beings live and function. Um, and anything outside of that is, is death or at the very least hospitalization. Um, and uh, there's, there, there's no point, I, I do not feel, in arguing for or against raising or lowering your pH for any reason because you're talking about such a small, narrow range. It's just not going to have an impact. So um, they, they, they do have an RD here um, who says, quote, it's refreshing to see a diet not demonizing carbs. I agree. Um, but they recommend a variety of carbs. Okay, understood. Um, some of the healthiest carbs are those highest in fiber, she says. I, I would disagree. I think you have, you know, your, your fibrous carbs and your non-fibrous carbs. And I think they all have a utility. Uh, so I would, I would take some exception to that. Um, if they said you don't want to get rid of more nutrient-dense carbs altogether. I, I don't know. To that I say I, I also will delineate between carbs and vegetables. Um, I don't put vegetables when I'm thinking about them in the same category as my carbs where I would put rice, um, oats, potatoes, beans, you know, your traditional carbohydrate sources. Now I track when I write a meal plan, I track the carbs from vegetables, but I'm also saying like, if, if we have a plan that is all veggies and there are no complex carbs in there, we're on a low carb diet. And, and I, I don't mean that just because the number is low, but I mean like we have no carbs in there. We have no carb sources. We're getting some grams of carbs, but they're in the form of veggies and it's just not the same. So that, that is just a semantics issue. And it's how I think about things. So um, but then again, I would, I would say if you are relying on your, your carbohydrate sources, your sources that provide the bulk of your carbohydrates to also provide you with your macronutrients, then you're kind of screwed. And so I don't think there's a lot of value in eliminating completely all of these veggies. I think there is a lot of value in eliminating some of them. You know, I, I talk to people who have broccoli two and three times a day. I'm like, stop it. Stop it. Once every couple of days is fine. You don't need to load up on that every day. Just, you know, ask the people around you. Here's the real test. You think your digestion is fine? What do the people around you say? There you go. They, they will probably have a, a, a better opinion of your digestive performance and health than you do. Uh, said you may lack micronutrients on this plan. Now, I know um, Stan Efferding also <clears throat> excuse me. He will recommend a lot of, uh, well, not a lot of, but some certain supplements as well things that uh, are, are either likely to be deficient in the diet or things that um, uh, we, we would just be deficient in. Typically, one of those being iodine. If you use sea salt, if you're not using iodized salt, there's a potential for iodine deficiency, which he touches on. So um, there, there's a lot of good components in this diet. I, I don't argue with that. I, I, I caution people against thinking this is all research and science-based because um, this diet is not certain principles of it are, but they are also not things that are devoid of controversy or are universally agreed upon. It's more like we have found evidence that this may support X, Y, or Z. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to take a bunch of things like that and put together a diet based on that and say it's research backed. I think that's uh, disingenuous. So, um, okay. So at this point, I'm on time crunch. I got more to talk about here. You know what? I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. We're, we're going to go there because I've got to get, uh, I've got to eat and go to the dentist and get this crap over with. So like I said, hopefully there will be an episode 141. Hopefully I don't die in the chair later today. Okay. I probably won't, but I'm, I'm still hoping. 
I'm, I, I don't want to go in there saying, I know I'm going to live through this because, you know, you don't want to tempt fate like that. So I'm, I'm going in with a healthy degree of skepticism about my survival rate, or at least knowing that it's not guaranteed 100%. So, uh, so I'm going to jump ship now, and uh, we'll save this. We'll put a, put a bow on this thing and wrap it up. Uh, everybody, by the time you're hearing this, uh, because I will not have time to post it this morning, i got to get going here, but by the time you hear this, I will be out. I will post uh, some kind of confirmation of my continued existence on Instagram so that you will know anything dated after, well, let's see, anything after 9 a.m. Um, today means I'm still alive, unless it's a picture of me in the chair, in which case, you know, it's still a toss-up. Who knows? Is he going to pull through? Is he not? Don't, we don't know yet. So uh, by, by 10, I'll be set. So anyway, I thank you all for listening. Um, hit me up. Keep those questions coming. i got some really good stuff here. I've got more to go over. we got stuff lined up for Monday. But, uh, you know, if I see something good coming over the weekend, I'm going to let you jump the line. I'm going to talk about that. So the challenge is on. I appreciate you all listening. Thank you. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. We'll catch up on Monday.